Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and this week we are talking about the history of wine. Not only just the history of wine, but specifically how it was drank by the ancient Greeks. Let's slurp it up. That's so dumb. See, why are you talking to me about drinking wine? I don't know nothing about drinking no wine. Because, Matt, <laughs> this podcast is all about things I love. And let me tell you, one of my favorite things to do is to drink wine. Yes. I love drinking wine so much. I actually was uh, looking into becoming a certified psalm at one point. Uh, I was going to take this course when I lived in Vegas, but it was like six hours every Saturday. And I was like, nah, I don't want to spend my Saturdays in a classroom. I want to be out drinking wine. So I didn't do it. But I read this really interesting- Drinking wine and eating chitin. I'm drinking wine and eating chicken. (laughs) I finished recently reading this book by Tom Standage called A History of the World in Six Glasses. Any of my friends, which none of them really actually listen to this podcast. Thanks, guys. Supportive. (laughs) They will all know because I wouldn't shut up about it. I was like, you guys, did you know that Coca-Cola? But it's a really cool book. My dad recommended it to me. Hey, shout out to my dad. What up, Jack? Um, It goes through the history of the world. In It starts with beer, then wine, liquor, tea, coffee, Coca-Cola. It's incredible. I couldn't put it down. I highly recommend anyone that's interested in history. If you're interested in just kind of like that... Uh, history through the lens of something, this is a great pickup. Um, And it's really fascinating how these six beverages really did cultivate our civilizations into agriculture, technologies, trade, uh, pop culture, et cetera, et cetera, war. I mean, Coca-Cola was really fascinating, but yeah. And I, I got kind of caught up. I loved the wine chapter. The, the whole book was great, but there were some interesting things, specifically ancient Greece that I want to talk about. Kind of the traditions of the old school way of drinking wine and how it was 
was about. I was reading it and I was like, I don't know why I find this so fascinating and interesting. And so I want to tell all of you because you clearly all have nothing better to do than to listen to me ramble on about stupid shit. I think that's fair. You've convinced me. I'm excited. Cool. Teach me. Oh, God. No pressure. All right. Well, I'm going to go through a little bit of the the start of wine is very briefly in my Gelsey way. So the earliest traces of wine were 6,000 BC in Georgia. Then the next traces we have are Iran, 5,000 BC, Armenia, 4,100 BC, and Sicily in 4,000 BC. Now, there is some uh, evidence that there was kind of a rice and grape mixed base fermented drink in China in 7,000 BC. So that would be the oldest, but you know, it, it's kind of on that borderline, like, is it, isn't it wine? So who knows? But wild grapes are native to Armenia. Armenia, Georgia, kind of Turkey, Iran. So more in that region is where they come from. <laughs> to your surprise, not Northern California. That is not where grapes are native. What? I know. No. I know. You were like, definitely no. Sonoma. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what if I was like, back in 7,000 BC, we begin in Sonoma. Our story begins in the OC <laughs> at the turn of the century. <laughs> a girl wanting to take a stoned et etched selfie. On the patio, sipping wine. <laughs> Hashtag live your best life. So the evidence of the first winery is back in 4100 BC Armenia. And, and in that they contained um, researchers found a wine press, fermented jars and cups, and original seeds and vines of what would have been native at that time. Now there's different legend kind of starts once we start getting cultures and this, that obviously wine comes up in the Bible and that predates a lot of these things. but the Bible doesn't exist yet, so we're going to kind of pass that one. Um, there's there's some stories like in Persian legend, King, I'm going to annihilate every single name and word I in this. Forgive me. King Jamshid sure. banished a lady of his harem, causing her to become despondent and contemplate suicide. Going to the king's warehouse, the woman sought out a jar marked poison containing the remnants of grapes that had spoiled and were now deemed undrinkable. After drinking the fermented wine, she found her spirits lifted. She took her discovery to the king, who became so enamored of his new drink that he no not only accepted the woman back, but decreed that all grapes grown in that area would now be devoted to winemaking. So there's stories like that, which I love that. I mean, see, wine can save lives. She's like, I'm going to kill myself. And she's like, I feel better. So that's just supporting my theory of when you're sad, you should drink. <laughs> Don't like ever take my advice, ever. I like that they went to such a dramatic level where they're just like, they'd be like, uh-oh, this milk is spoiled. Label it as poison. Instead of throwing it out, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it, but just label it poisoned. So now we got to go to um, Egypt, where predominantly the wine there was red. And because its resemblance to blood, it was m used more in um, sacramental ceremonious reasons. Sometimes they wouldn't even drink it because they thought it was too relevant to like the blood of their enemies or, and there's kind of all these different theories if you will they did find so for the longest time there was a theory that only red wine was drank in in egypt but when king tut king tut's tomb was discovered they found remnants of white wine in some vats so they were like Ugh. but the Egyptians are where we start getting the spread because they come into contact with the Phoenicians, who the Phoenicians were about 1500 to 300 BC, which is current day Lebanon. And they played a huge factor in the Mediterranean distribution. So until that kind of meeting and then wine starts to get traded and moved out, this is where we see the bigger widespread of it. Now, the Phoenicians 
used amphoras for transporting wine, which was kind of like a vat vase-like thing that was distributed distributed again through the Mediterranean, which was a huge development of the wine industries in Rome and Greece. Not only did they use their methods of storage and transport, but they also did bring the vines themselves to them. So a lot of those grape varieties then were brought to these regions, planted. They did very well in a lot of the regions in Greece, a lot of the Greek islands. And so it kind of became a huge thing. And of course, they're like, "Mm, this is delicious and we're drunk. So everyone's happy. So that brings us to ancient Greece. The ancient Greeks around like 800 BC start bringing in wine. Um, Much of their modern wine culture or much of our modern wine culture derives from the Greek practices and they have a God to honor it, Dionysus. And that's thought there's, there's a whole story behind that. Let's see. Did I do a good job writing that down? I didn't. Mm, We don't need to go into that because I want to talk about. Um, And then it's the Greeks that actually introduced the V- Vinifera vine to modern day Italy, Sicily, Southern France, and Spain. So that is then where we get the next leg of expanding more into Europe. From there, once Rome gets a hold of it, they kind of culturally do their thing. Once Christianity comes into the picture, then it becomes back into the religious sacramental uh, ceremonious reasons. And then once religion spreads throughout Europe, now wine is spreading even more. And then that would be why it's brought over to the new world. The rest is history. Flash forward to Gelsey sitting on a patio, drinking her wine, hashtag living her best life. Now let's talk about some of these Greek. We're going to go back to the Greek culture and their kind of ways of drinking because I thought it was really fascinating, kind of funsies. So they would drink at formal drinking parties called symposias. The symposias were kind of a venue for discussion, philosophy, poetry, and it was prided that it made them an elite civilization. So before wine, the predominant drink was beer. It will, it literally goes like water, beer, then some other stuff comes up, non-alcoholic, and then wine. And I think beer was even the first drink ever outside of wa- water. So it, beer had been kind of going on for a long time. I, was, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and the only other thing I could think of would be like, milk or juices you know like stuff that's like already being produced by the land but yeah yeah it makes sense that beer would be early beer came before even agriculture started kicking in so that was kind of the thing so then it was just like um i forget because i read it but it was a minute ago and i didn't prep on my beer knowledge but i do know that beer came into play before agriculture and it actually played a part in settling down and farming and how they farmed accordingly so it's kind of an interesting tie in there with that phase of the human civilization like i said it's a really good book it's really interesting but it makes sense you know you watch game of thrones no one sits down and asks for a glass of cranberry juice or anything it's basically just (laughs) alcohol wine or maybe a water because because game of thrones is accurate historical yes past matt that's that's what you're saying 100 yeah you're just gonna (laughs) but at this point the barbarians were thought to be beer drinkers. So now that we have wine, it becomes this more like elite civilization culture, which I still feel that way. I'm like, <laughs> look at me and my wine. But it is the drink of high society. That's it for is sure. the drink of high society. I mean, <laughs> ugh. I do love a good beer, but um, had one last night. And yeah, so they they kind of prided themselves on that. And wine became greatly available again in Greece. It did very well growing there. So it's getting around and it became not only there was a phase when it was more expensive than beer and more expensive to produce. So that's kind of where, you know, you get that social difference and social gap in drinking it where it's like if you could afford it or not. But as it becomes more widely available, everyone starts drinking it. Slaves drink it. 
the common folk, the elite. So now your status isn't so much of if you're drinking it or not, but it becomes more on what kind you're drinking and how old it is. So we start getting that like, what variety is it? What age is it? And it's like already in ancient Greece, you're seeing these things that today we're still snobbish about and the elite are like, oh, this is a, you know, 1957 Cabernet, and, and you're like, fuck yeah, off, I, just, I got I'm this like $2 imagining... from Trader Joe's. Woo. We've, hear it, it before my time, we've yet to figure out the official name of this thing, but I'm imagining like Cleopatra being carried on whatever bed thing. What the fuck but is like, that called? I need to figure that out. But, but like shaking the glass and sniffing it before <laughs> sniffing it. <laughs> and it's, the wine did, back in that day, turn to vinegar a lot quicker because they didn't have like the best storage you know they would store and seal kind of like we do and because well, when anything expired they would just label it as poison all it is they just had a <laughs> Said, Our shitload job's of wine here. just poison <laughs> no but if um i this is pretty common knowledge but as some people don't know this if you open up a bottle of red wine within like after two days you might not know this but after a couple of days you open a bottle of red wine it does slowly turn to vinegar and that's why if you've ever been um if you have a bottle of red wine you open it on a monday night go hey, i'm gonna have one glass and then come friday you haven't touched it and you go i'm gonna have another glass it's gonna be shit it's like vinegar to the max and i've been at bars where they give me a glass of wine and i'm like i will send my wine back i'm like you gave me a bottle that's been open for a while i am not paying the five dollars for this glass because that's you know going to fancy places (laughs) i don't care if it's a chili's or a michelin star don't serve me vinegar (laughs) unless it's in oil and i'm smudging my bread in it and having a great time then you can give me vinegar because i asked for it Anyways, wine. So they're sophisticated by the types, blah, blah, blah. Now, how they would drink it is not pure, though. They would mix their wine with water. And they were in thought that only Dionysus, the god of wine, could purely drink wine. Or the barbarians only drank wine. And there were some other civilizations and cultures that did drink, quote unquote, pure wine. And the Greeks, the elitists, were like, oh, how barbaric. So you always wanted to mix in um, that water Now, in these symposiums, they were an all-male aristocratic ritual. There was a men's room called an andron, and it was likely the only room in the house that had a stone floor. And it was slightly tilted to the center, so it was easier to clean. So there's probably some drainage or it would kind of get all the spillage, because I'm sure at some point there's just wine everywhere. Yeah. And then they would have these like special couches around. It was very in fashion to like sit with one pillow under your arm. I forget where that started, but see, even then Um, there were like influencers. (laughs) (laughs) There were like things go around and like, this is how they do it here. And now we're like, Oh, I'm going to wear this. Like we've always been in that influencer life. They just couldn't hashtag sit like a Roman. If you told me, if you told me draw a picture of a person in 2023 drinking wine in their house, it would be, Someone with a pillow under their arm leaning over with a glass of wine. (laughs) I sit like that all the time, except I also sit last night. Well, that's because I had a beer last night. So I drink. I sit differently with a beer. I think I was slumped down with one leg, like almost by my head up by my couch and the other completely just spread eagle with my bottle of Stella. I'm all, yep. Ending a long day. I'm a classy broad, Matt. (laughs) That's why I wanted to podcast with you. I was sick of I was sick of doing podcasts with scumbags. I needed Barbarians. to class it up over here. You wanted these highly classy <laughs> women like Gelsey. <laughs> Anywho, speaking of women, so no women were allowed in these rooms. Well, th- let me rephrase. They were allowed in there. They weren't allowed to sit with the men. So they didn't participate in this wine drinking party ritual. 
but there were female servers, dancers, and musicians, which I was like, hold up. Is this the first strip club? Like, did I? That's what I was about to say. It sounds like a gentleman's club. It's a gentleman's club. Men only. They're there to like talk and be like, we're smart and then drink wine and women are just there to entertain them. I was like, hold up. Ancient hustlers? Mm -hmm. How would would he? I don't know. I'm not even going to try to come up with a clever Greek name. I was like, (laughs) hustlericius. And that's where I end. So what would happen first is most likely there'd be tables and food would be served with little to no drink. So they would eat first, then the tables would be cleared, and then the wine would come out. And the Athenian tradition is that you would pour three libations. You'd pour one to the gods, one to the fallen heroes, and one to Zeus. So it's kind of like one for me, one for my homies, kind of a little (laughs) – see, it's all starting there. We got strip clubs. We got aged fancy wine. This is like the origins of hip-hop somehow. (laughs) Well, no, it gets better. No, I literally have another thing that is like the origins of hip-hop that's so funny. It's in my notes, and I was like, well, hold up. Did we just have our first rap battle? Because we did. So then a lot of times garlands of flowers would be handed out because I guess the men need to be draped in flowers to have fancy talks. I was like, oh, this is so manly. And then the drinking begins. So the wine would be mixed into a large bowl called a crater. And then the water would be added to the wine. It was never the wine to the water, always the water to the wine. Why? Who fucking knows? They had like... Who knows? But there was always um, the water was in a huge vase like um, vessel called a hydria, which hydra, hydria, water. Who knew? (laughs) And the amount of water that they would add would determine how quickly everyone wanted to get intoxicated. So it's like, you know, uh, how much water, how lit do we want to get tonight? It's this kind of conversation. So the typical mixing ratios were either two to one, five to two, three to one or four to one, because I know you all wanted to know that. So you could not do that. Don't add water to your wine today. That's a sin. Well, actually, so drinking unmixed water, like I said before, was considered barbaric to the Greeks. And again, only Dionysus could drink unmixed wine without risk. They also thought that not drinking was just as bad. So they were kind of always looking for, you don't want to be a drunken barbarian, but you don't want to be a sober, well, you know, like... Oh, so I would have been just like the absolute worst back then. Well, I can tell you, so would I. I'm a sloshy drunk. No, I'm not. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we both would have been in shackles for different reasons. You also would have been a woman drinking wine, which would have been a whole strike against you. Matt, you know I would have been one of the dancers in there. Girl, what's the world's first stripper? Yelsey Laurie. Um, Actually, there was a Greek writer. um, His name was Plutarch. I'm guessing that's how you say his name. But he said, the drunkard is insolent and rude. And on the other hand, the complete to tolerate is disagreeable and more fit for tending children than presiding over a drinking party. So you would just would have been taking care of the kids, Matt. And I'm dancing for people's entertainment. So we are doing the exact (laughs) same things today that we would back in ancient Greece. I'm so proud of us. Do you think we would? Do you think our past lives were friends with each other? (laughs) Probably. Definitely. (laughs) We were like the two friends that like shouldn't be friends. You know those movies that you're like in the I don't know. I have a whole story going on in my mind. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, we we were like the step brothers. We were Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. We started as enemies and then over yeah. time became best of friends. Exactly. <laughs> but you're like in your little stone room, like riding by candlelight and having like these philosophical ideas, and I'm off at these like 
wine fested orgy parties and somehow we're Wait, friends. So, I know so I'm it in more like a My Fair Lady type situation. That's what it sounds like. You're just no, because you're not elite, Matt. Like, you're not drinking wine, so you can't be an elite. I'm like, I got to class up this Gelsey girl. No, <laughs> because I'm more elite than you because I drink wine. Sorry, that's just the way that ancient Greece goes. I'm sorry. I'm more that's cultured. True. Yeah, by their I think standards. in any circumstance, people will consider you more elite than me, no matter what <laughs> year we're in. <laughs> Matt, we've already, we already know that I am the court jester, so I don't know if that's elite. Hey, I've said it before. I might be the court jester, but at least I'm in the castle. You're in the castle. I'm in the castle. So there was um, someone's – a role in these symposia is called the symposiarch, and they were normally – um, voted who's going to be the symposiarch. Oh my gosh, these words. And their goal was to keep the balance between the two. You don't want to be drunk. You don't want to be sober. And they were there to keep everyone Wait. on the borderline between sobriety and drunkness. They were the party police. They were the party <laughs> police. So now we have the, we have our first party police. Exactly. And they wanted you to be able to enjoy the freedom of tongue without becoming too violent like the barbarians. So we got our party police. We got our strip club. Um, and, okay, so it's some, some symposiums, like different things would come out. It was a place, again, for philosophy. They would have poetry. And at some, they would even have competitions. Um, the men would compete to improv witty songs. And I was like, hold up. Hold up. Are they having rap battles? They're having rap battles. So now we have a strip club. We have a party police. We have rap battles. Like this underground. I was like, whoa. So Look, we need to contact Mel Brooks and be like, do we have a sketch for you for History of the World Part 3? <laughs> and, and it's I'm trying the intersection of, of yeah, wine and the history of hip hop smashed together into one singular story. <laughs> Ancient Greece, man, bringing it back. Like they're giving us all kinds of democratic brilliance of <laughs> pop culture. They're like, you want to vote? I'm literally We're seeing a scene of like a camera panning across a bunch of Greek kings and elite, but like 50 cents in the club is playing. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. That's basically what it was like. It's great. And no, duh, some of these parties or symposias did lead to orgies and they did lead to violence because you're drinking and yeah. nothing Sounds says like, like college a party drunken party like an orgy. Yeah. I know. Well, and you know, in their ancient Greeks, they like their orgies. It's just what they did. It was cool then. But I did want to talk about there's a kind of quote here. It's from a play by Eubolius. Eubol Eubolus. Oh gosh. Seriously, like why weren't they again? named like Mike and Sarah? <laughs> Eubolus? Eubolus. I'm we'll gonna try call Eubolus. Him, try it there. I'm gonna call him <laughs> Eugene. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Eugene from Ancient Greece. Um, like I said, they have different craters, which is where the bowl of the mixing was. And it, you you never wanted to get too drunk again. Of course it happens, but um, that's my goal every time I drink. I'm like, I'm not trying to get drunk. And the next day I'm like, what happened? Just kidding. I, I'm really painting a picture like I'm this hardcore partier. I'm not. I nursed a whole beer last night. Can you believe I finished an entire <laughs> bottle of beer? So he says, as far as how much you should drink and what it leads to, for sensible men, I prepare only three craters. One for health, which they drink first. The second for love and pleasure. And the third for sleep. I'm like, yeah, that's about where I go. After the third one is drained, wise men go home. <laughs> I'm so wise. 
The fourth crater is not mine anymore. It belongs to bad behavior. The fifth is for shouting. The sixth is for rudeness and insults. The seventh is for fights. The eighth is for breaking the furniture. The ninth is for depression. The tenth is for madness and unconsciousness. Like he nailed it. Yes, that is so true. Yeah. And so that's what I liked that a lot because, I mean, it describes the levels of drinking so well. <laughs> then it does go into Plato comes into play <laughs> and kind of brings in a new way of drinking kind of plays off of like what's already been there. And he establishes like a more stern kind of like students, teacher, pupil relationship, but with drinking, it's like a little less fun. So yeah, but I just really wanted to focus on the symposias and those like early uh, traditions of wine drinking and getting lit, but sensibly in a cultured ancient Grecian aristocratic way. All right. I love it. Well, you had implied that there was a little bit of beer, a little bit of wine yesterday, and we're going to find out maybe what you were watching while you were drinking after this commercial break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscovered Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Gelsey, I know that we don't normally talk about fairly new things, but given that just a couple weeks ago we did an episode on History of the World Part 1 and the History of the World Part 2 TV series started coming out. I I'm wanted to know, have you watched any of it yet? I'm like three episodes in. I'm so behind. I didn't know what to anticipate with this, but it's actually been pretty good so far. I'm loving it. Like I said, I'm only to season uh, episode three. I've, I've got some catching up to do just because I was busy with work, you know, that thing you got to do, barbarians. But um, yeah, so far I love it. I, I love the, the kind of format. It feels very, you know what it reminds me of actually a lot, even stylistically, and of course, Mel Brooks has his hands all over it. So it has that Mel Brooks. But did you watch Miracle Workers? No. And oh. I've been told I would love Miracle you, Workers. That was like my yeah. dad and my show. And I was like, what did I just find this brilliant? It reminds me exactly of Miracle Workers, except Miracle Workers has um, each season focuses on one storyline in an era. So they have like the Wild West. They have kind of medieval times. And then the first one is heaven and God yeah. and like literal miracle workers. But it has that same kind of humor where there's kind of modern language being spoken in these, you know, the Wild West. And and it's very well, it funny. But... It, it feels like it blends Mel Brooks's 
sense of humor and style of sketch comedy with like what modern sketch comedy is. Totally. Like it doesn't it, feel like it's trying to do a throwback to no, anything. It's like it no, has this a is... nice blend. I agree. Yeah. Especially with all the comedians in it. They have a perfect and I feel like every sketch some new person pops up for like a one-off character where yeah. I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah, which um, I love I, that. I think my favorite I is could, the Curb Your Enthusiasm throw, oh the Curb Your Judaism. God. I was, I, because Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> is one of my favorite shows. And then I love that comedian who basically I plays his same role. I texted you about that. I was oh, going to be like, yo, are you, you have to be watching this. It's so good. Well, Nick, Nick Kroll's, mm-hmm. uh, he does the same voice and it makes me laugh every single time, but his like, overwhelming obnoxious jewish guy who's like the guy selling food from the, the cart. pies yeah it's like it's just so it makes me happy every time he speaks like in that voice um but yeah even like i i appreciate it i think it's in episode one right where they do a throwback to the hitler all nice yes where they it's do like do a continuation that. Like, I said, of no that repeats one. or and i love that i was like yes they did hitler on ice yeah. Poland gave rated him a fuck you. <laughs> it's great. And I love um the Romanovs as the Kardashians. Yeah, it's it's so I have you gotten to the jackass stuff? Oh god, yes. When he's like, Hi, I'm Rasputin <laughs> and this is being stabbed. And like <laughs> it's great. It's just I, I love everything they do. It's such a fun. I like that they have instead of going as the original movie is kind of like, okay, this period in time we're gonna kind of do this little story, then move on to this little section. I like how it's going back and forth and ping ponging around. Yeah, it's like semi semi serialized bouncing. Yeah, around. it's it's very well done, and also it's reminded me how much I really miss seeing Wanda Sykes on my television I love Wanda. because she's hilarious. I think that it's it's just so well done, and I hope that we get a history of the world part three. We'll we'll see it'd, what happens. It'd be but, great. Yeah. Well, if anybody enjoyed this episode and wants to know more about the other five drinks that you read the history Mm of uh where can they let us know what other topics they'd love to hear us cover yeah let me know what beverages you want me to talk about you can find us on instagram at before my time underscore podcast or find us on facebook just search before my time we'll pop up right on our wall dm us message us comment on our latest post you could just say hi or be like, I want to hear about Coca-Cola. I, I think we actually will do Coca-Cola at some point because it was really fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, and if you are bored and have time, I mean, obviously you sat and listened to me ramble on this long, so you probably have a second. It'd be so awesome if you left us a review, uh, specifically maybe a five-star one, but you know, your choice. And thank you so much for listening each and every week. You listeners are what makes this possible. Can't wait to give you more nonsense. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Friends, the world got you down. 
Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.